0: We're going to read. And the reading is set down for, I think, verses 1 to 21. I'll read all of that, but we won't do all of that tonight. We will do um, down to about verse 14, I think. But I want to read the whole 21 so that Josh knows that I can read that many words. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Is that a Bible rustling over there? That's... Isn't that a nice sound? At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pick some of the heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered them, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man... Is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there, looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and they plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out, no one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. Amen. It's God's Word to us. Before I pray, I brought my phone with me because I, I thought of an idea sitting over there, We've only, I've done this a few times but only on question and um, answer nights, but what do you think of this idea? Think about it and give me some feedback for it later, we're not going to do it tonight, uh, but maybe in the future it might be helpful, that it's not a good idea for me to have my phone but for somebody else to have it and if in the process of the person teaching, whether it's me or Pastor Charlie or somebody else, and they say something or you think of something that you would like them to answer or address, you could send a text and say, could you amplify that or could you answer this or something like that? Would that be a good idea? Would that be helpful? We can't do it in all services, but we could certainly do it on a Sunday night and probably at the 10.30 because there's more of an openness when it comes to time. But the 8.30 service, we have got to conclude and absent the property. But anyway, think about that. I'd like to know what you think. And... um, It'd be a surprise for Charlie when he comes back. (laughs) Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for the opportunity for us to be together, to learn together. Thanks for the wonderful gift of your Word and for sending the Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord, tonight to learn more about Him and what He requires and desires of us and for us. So, Lord, teach us through your Word, we pray in Jesus' name. And Everybody said... There's a statue of the Lord Jesus, Christ of the Andes, it's called, which is placed between two nations. Here's Jeff Gunton here. Have you seen this? Between Argentina and Chile. No? You've been to South America, haven't you seen this? Um, you may have heard of it. Um, and it was designed to uh, bring peace, this statue of Jesus, between, on the border between these two nations that... Um, had some difficulties together but the problem came about that when they erected the statue the Lord Jesus was facing Chile and his back was turned to Argentina and the Argentinians became quite upset about that until one journalist, an editorial journalist, wrote a piece to sort of bring calmness to the nation of the situation. She wrote Um, that the people in Chile need looking after far more and so Jesus has to be watching them more than the people of Argentina. Mm -hmm. Disputes about the person of the Lord Jesus have been around ever since he was here. From people who have doubts about him to people who are indifferent to him to people who are hostile to him to people who are out and out rejecting of him and even in this passage plotting and eventually killing him often driven by their own, you know, motivations of wanting to be in the spotlight or whatever. And certainly in this passage, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12 becomes like a turning point in the ministry and the life of Jesus. Up until this point, there has been some indifference and some opposition, but in this chapter, there's a significant turn where we read that they actually went out to plot on how to get rid of him, to kill him. And that in the next half of the chapter, which we didn't read tonight... But we will, I guess, in a few weeks, where they even start blaspheming and calling him demon possessed and everything else. This chapter is the almost the dividing point uh, in the ministry of the Lord Jesus, and so it's occasioned by verse one. At that time, uh, Jesus went through the cornfields on the Sabbath. That's the key bit: on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry or they actually became hungry in the process of their journey and so they started putting out their hand and grabbing bits of uh, heads of corn, wheat, barley, whatever it was um, and they started to rub it and blow the chaff away and then to eat it, which um, was permissible and allowable in the law. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 23, verses 24 and 25, it says... If you went to your neighbor's vineyard, <clears throat> so you can go into a vineyard and you can take as many grapes as you want if you're hungry. What you can't do is take scissors with you or a knife or a bucket. You can't store stuff up. But if you're hungry, you can quench your hunger. It was God's provision for the people at this time. If you went to your neighbour's cornfield, you may pick um, the ears with your hands, but you must uh, not put a sickle to the standing grain. Cornfield makes it sound like corn, doesn't it, to us? Of, you know, big long yellow bits. It's not talking about that. It's a trend, I think it's either an Americanism or something, it's talking about just grains, like wheat and barley and stuff, think like that. Um, so it was actually in God's word, the scriptures, that what the disciples were doing is quite um, acceptable. They had permission to do so. Um, Jesus certainly didn't come to break the law, he came to fulfil it. But he certainly stood against a lot of the additions that the Jews, particularly the Pharisees, had added to God's law. So in verse 2 we read, When the Pharisees saw this, how did they see it? Jesus has left and he's walking, he's heading off to a synagogue as it would turn out, probably, or some other location. What are they, in the cornfield? I can imagine them either crouching down and then as soon as they do this... Aha! Caught you. Or did they have spies? Or were they actually following them and watching and observing them? Just waiting for an opportunity to catch them out. Because the Sabbath was one of the most significant laws and customs that the Jewish people had. It identified them as very different. It's because of their strictness of keeping the Sabbath that the Romans gave them permission not to be conscripted into the army because they refused to fight on the Sabbath. And in fact, in AD 70, when the Jews got overrun, it's because they didn't do that. That they got overtaken and defeated and the temple was destroyed. The Pharisees saw this, somehow, and they said to Him, look, your disciples are doing something which is unlawful, it's sinful, on the Sabbath. Notice how they've elevated their understanding of the law, their rules, their regulations to the standard of sin, of it's unlawful, it's against God's standards. I just want to take a few minutes tonight to read you a list of some of those rules and standards that they had because the Pharisees saw the disciples breaking four commandments. When the disciples, in paths, they didn't have many roads in those days but they had paths and people would walk on the paths and right next door to you, right within arm's reach, the crops would be growing up so it was quite easy to reach out and to grab uh, some grain and to have something to eat. It was obviously ripe grain, so it's like March, April, heading towards Passover time. And, and the Pharisees saw them pluck it, that was harvesting, That allowed harvest on the Sabbath. When they rubbed the grain together, that's threshing. When they either threw it up in the air and let the wind blow the chaff away, or they blew on it and blew the chaff away, and then they ate the grain that was left, that was winnowing. And when they actually put it in their mouth and ate it, that was the act of preparing a meal... All forbidden on the Sabbath. I wanted to read to you some of the laws that they had because the Jewish people, the rabbis, over time had come to make the Sabbath incredibly onerous. In the previous chapter, the Lord Jesus spoke about those who were weary and heavy burdened, and the laws of the Sabbath particularly did that to the people. They just couldn't keep it. But the Pharisees were driven by the belief that if we could keep the Sabbath, then the Messiah would come. That's how it was significant for them, it was very, very important. But like I said, they'd added to it and they made it very hard to rest on the Sabbath day. In the Talmud, one of their commentaries, they have 24 chapters devoted to listing Sabbath laws, 24 chapters. You shall do no work on the Sabbath, the Scripture says. What's work? They have 39 definitions. It's onerous. Here are some of them. When it comes to travel, you were limited to 3,000 steps from your house. They didn't have cards, obviously, in those days, but 3,000 steps. So how far is that? Half a mile, three quarters of a mile. Guess how big your steps are. But they came up with some exceptions. It's 3,000 steps from your house. But if I go out on the day before and I take a little picnic lunch and I place that, the 2,900 steps from my house and I leave that little picnic lunch there, then I can walk to that and I can eat that meal and that's seen to be an extension of my house. And then I can go 3,000 steps from there. That's what they would do. Or, and so it still happens in Jerusalem today, if you rope off the end of your street, then that's seen to be an extension of your house too because your house is here and your property now is extended down to there. So it's 3,000 steps from there. There 3,000 steps, so you had to count it. <clears throat> um, you weren't allowed to lift things or to put things down. And then they came up with these sorts of, you could pick some things up in public, but not other things. You could put some things down in private places, but not other things. You could do it in wide places, and sometimes you could do it in legally free places. And they just go berserk trying to define what is a wide place? What does free mean? And they get all tied up. You can carry something but of nothing that weighs any more than two dried figs. If you carry something which is half that, the weight of one dried fig, then you can do it twice. <clears throat> in terms of eating restrictions, you could only eat something in terms that was the size of an olive. You couldn't throw an object in the air with one hand and catch it with the other. It's against the law. It's work. Um, the Sabbath began at 6 p.m. on Friday and finished at 6 p.m. on the Saturday and so at 5.59 p.m. if you reached out your hand to grab some food or something and if the Sabbath started at 6 o'clock you couldn't bring the food to your mouth, you had to drop the food, That's how strict they were. Um, I'll keep going, there's a stack of this, tailors couldn't carry a needle and they couldn't put a pin in clothes because they might be tempted to mend which would be working. You couldn't buy or sell anything, you couldn't wash your clothes, you couldn't dye your clothes, you couldn't write a letter, let alone get it posted, carried by somebody. You could only carry ink where you could write two letters of the alphabet. You can't light a fire, you can't extinguish a fire, which is going, including lamps. And today in Jerusalem... In some, particularly the strict quarters of Jerusalem, then you can't drive your automobile through that section because in driving a car it's actually the petrol is being ignited so you're lighting a fire, it's against the law. Um, and in many Jewish homes they in fact have auto timers so the lights come on automatically so they're not actually working by pushing the light switch. It's incredible isn't it? You couldn't have a bath because some water might splash on the floor and that would be constituted washing. Chairs couldn't be moved because you might make a furrow in the ground and that would be, you know, ploughing. A woman couldn't look in the mirror, I don't know why it's just a woman, but a woman couldn't look in the mirror because if she saw grey hair, she might be tempted to pull it out and that would be work. You couldn't wear false teeth on the Sabbath. Did you know they had false teeth back then? Hmm. You couldn't wear them because they exceeded the weight limit of what you were allowed to have. As we read in the story, you're not allowed to pull wheat grains and you're not allowed um, to rub them or anything else. If you were sick, you couldn't make a person better, that would be work. All you can do is stop them from getting worse. But if they started to improve then you broke the law because you've actually worked to help them to recover. Incredible. Here is a list of some of the forbidden activities. Sowing, plowing, reaping, grinding, baking, threshing, Binding sheaves, winnowing, sifting, dying, shearing, spinning, kneading, separating or weaving two threads together, tying or untying a knot, and sewing two stitches. My favourite is spitting. You are allowed to spit on the Sabbath, provided your spit, your saliva landed on a rock. If it landed on dirt, then it would make a furrow, that would be constituted to be ploughing, that would be work. Clearly, the Sabbath was not a time of rest. It was oppressive, it was frustrating and causing a lot of anxiety. As one commentator said, they made it hard work to keep the day of rest. (laughs) Jesus and his disciples did not violate any of the Jewish biblical scriptural laws, but he certainly confronted and dealt with a whole lot of this other extra stuff. Confronted it and dealt with it and does so very strongly in this passage, which tells us a lot about who he... Is Oh, I just read you this... He answered <clears throat> and the Lord Jesus, in the process of answering these Pharisees who are accusing Him of breaking the law, He gives three answers. If they listened, if they considered what He was saying, then they would have been helped but they were already pretty entrenched in their opposition to the Lord Jesus and so they didn't really have ears to hear and consider but nonetheless, Jesus does inform and confront them, and he does so. Please notice, he says at the beginning of verse three, "Haven't you read?" Nine times in the gospel, Jesus will say, "Haven't you read?" That's like a slap on the face to these guys. They prided themselves on being Bible readers and Bible students and experts, and experts, experts, experts in the Bible. They prided themselves on it. They had read it, but they had misread it. They had misunderstood it and this also clearly indicates that Jesus shows that it's very important for us to know and to read the Scriptures, haven't you read what God's Word says? And he gives three examples of exactly that. Um, Before I go into the details, the first one obviously is to do with David, let me say this generally about all of God's laws in the Old Testament which many people struggle with but generally speaking All of God's laws, all of them, was given for two reasons. To help us to love God and help us to love people. That's it. All of the law gets summarized and balanced on those two axioms. Remember, a lawyer came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? What's the most important one? And Jesus said, you know the answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind. To love God. Jesus said, and the second one is like it love your neighbour as yourself. You look at the Ten Commandments, the first four are dealing with God and the last six are dealing with people. There is this balance in the law and from our perspective, it's helpful though, it's a helpful general guide that the law is either moral, ceremonial or national. There are some laws which are just for the nation of Israel and no one else, it's just for them, for them to be shown to be different to the nations around them. It was to be a a witness thing of the way they dressed and the way they built things and so on. And, And the Sabbath was certainly part of that at the national level. But there are also ceremonial laws, all to do with their sacrifices and temple and their worship. But there are also moral laws. And those moral laws become universal. They get passed on. So the law God gave is good and the Sabbath is part of that And the Sabbath was given to remind people that He is the Creator, because that's when the Sabbath starts, on the seventh day, God rested from all His labours. A reminder that we are accountable to a Creator, one day in seven. It's for God's glory and honour, for us to worship Him on this day. And it's for man's welfare, God gave it, particularly for acts of necessity or for mercy or for the service of God, all of these things were fully acceptable. So, with that as background, Jesus says, haven't you guys read this, that David, when he and his companions were hungry and they were fleeing from Saul, and they went to a high priest who was at the tabernacle, and they said 'We're hungry, and he didn't have any food, he said, the only food I've got are the 12 pieces of showbread, consecrated bread, and it's not lawful for you to have that. That's certainly what the law said, the showbread was for the priests. The showbread were 12 loaves, freshly baked each week, Placed inside the tabernacle, inside the holy place, and it was uh, twelve loaves representing the twelve tribes, and they were to be there symbolically for the priests to remember and to pray for the tribes of Israel. And after the twelve months, they would bake some more fresh bread, and they would substitute it. They would take that away, and they would eat that one. David turns up. Now, different commentators have a different view on this, but it's quite possible that David turned up maybe on the Sabbath. We're well, not given; I don't think these details. And the only bread the priest had was this newly baked showbread. It hadn't yet been placed in place, but he gave the showbread to David and to his men, five loaves of it, he gave it away. And Jesus said, in the law it says the showbread is for the priests, but the priest gave it to David. That shows you that God's law, while it's the ceremonial law is to be followed, works of necessity or of mercy overrule that. That people's needs come before rituals. Um, God was not offended. God didn't discipline David or the high priest. Um, it was necessary to meet, as I said, the, the needs of these hungry people. And it would appear that God puts a higher priority in caring for the needs of one another or of others than he is concerned about ceremonial symbols and regulations. Meeting physical needs is far more important. Than keeping rituals. Just as an aside, not really related to tonight but I find it interesting that David is the rightful king of Israel and he is rejected, Saul is chasing him, just like Jesus, the rightful king who is rejected by his people. That he's being pursued by the authorities, so is Jesus and his David is associating with the poor and so is the Lord Jesus, just an interesting historical parallel. First reason haven't you read what about David and the showbread they did that on the Sabbath no sin no breaking of the law second example Um, haven't you read in the law again haven't you read how the priests, when they serve in the temple on the Sabbath day performing their duties that they in fact while they desecrate the Sabbath they're working they're innocent and in fact on the Sabbath they do double the amount of work They have to light the lamps, they have to light the fires, they have to sacrifice, kill the animals, they have to lift the animals onto the altar, they're lighting fires and they're lifting and they're working and it's acceptable. That's Jesus's argument. Haven't you read that? Sabbath is not about what you guys have made it about, it's about something totally different. The worship of God on the Sabbath is acceptable and so therefore walking to a place of worship to do that is also acceptable. Then in verse seven, third argument, quoting Isaiah the prophet, if you had known what these words mean, uh, you've read them, it hasn't penetrated, you haven't allowed the truth of it to grab your heart, God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. God is a God who has mercy and is a God who is compassionate and He wants us to be exactly the same, to be people who are kind, nice compassionate merciful that's what he is like and that's what he desires for us sabbath keeping was never meant to restrict our acts of mercy if i was coming to church on a sunday and i was down to preach and on the way here i saw a person crossing the road and a car hit them what should i do Should I continue on to perform my religious duties to preach in the service or should I pull over and help the person who has been hurt? What would God require of me? It's an easy one to answer, isn't it? Got to preach? (laughs) No, obviously you've got to pull over and help. So too, that's basically what Jesus is saying. People come before all of the regulations that you guys have added into it. Sacrifice, certainly here, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Sacrifice means all of those secondary and temporal things that God had as part of His plan. They were always temporary, they were symbolic, they were pointing forward to the real Saviour who would come, Jesus. Um, And so you can see that um, Jesus was certainly inviting people, weighed down with all these rules and restrictions and the Um, condemnation from the religious authorities of making innocent people feel terrible and feel guilty, that's why he says at the end of chapter 11, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened and worn out by all of this and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, link yourself to me, submit to me and that you'll find peace as we journey and do it together. But there's something else Jesus says in his response which makes them firstly speechless and then furious. He says in verse 6, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. That was outrageous, they were horrified. There was nothing greater than the temple than God himself. And Jesus is saying, something greater than the temple is here. Do you mean to say that Jesus is saying to the Pharisees that he is God... Yes, he's telling them very directly, something greater than the temple is here, open your eyes. And then he'll go on to say about the Son of Man and Lord of the Sabbath, before I get to that, the reason they were horrified was because this was part of the consistency of what Jesus had been doing and saying. In Matthew's Gospel, he had already made the statement that he had the, he had the right to forgive sins, remember the story of the man coming through the roof? Son, your sins are forgiven you. Who does he think he is? Only God forgives his sins because he is God. Or when he declared to them that he was the physician of sinners in Matthew 11. Or when they attacked him about not fasting and he said that he was the bridegroom. That's Old Testament picture of, that's Yahweh. He's the bridegroom of Israel. Jesus is saying, I am Yahweh, I am the Lord. Or well, last week in chapter 11 and verse 27, it's, you know, the Father knows the Son and only the Son knows the Father. Nobody knows God, except God. Jesus is making it very clear and here, He takes away all the ambiguity for the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus' favourite title, uses it over and over and over and over and technically, He's not a Son of Man, He's son of a woman. But Son of Man is a title... In Ezekiel, it's a title just simply for a mortal person. But in Daniel, chapter 7, Son of Man is a divine title. He comes to the Ancient of Days and He receives the right to rule. He's the Lord. He is the Son of Man. And if you don't get that, He then says, and He's Lord of the Sabbath. He's the one who invented it. He's the one who regulates it. He's Lord of it. He's the Creator. That's what He's saying to them. If only they had ears... To hear but of course their hearts. You need to know who Jesus is and you need to know what the evidence is about him and at the end of the day for some people the evidence helps them move in the appropriate direction. For other people it's not the evidence that they don't accept, it's rather the attitude of their heart that they don't want to believe. Don't confuse me with the evidence, I'm not interested. And that's a, that's their free will. That's their choice. God gives them that freedom to do so. But look at the evidence of what Jesus said about himself and what he did, the miracles he performed, for, uh, answered uh, prophecy. It was a demonstration of God saying, "Here I am." So going on from that place, Jesus went then into their synagogue, and there was a man there with a the shriveled hand. Probably this is a setup. How did this man with a shriveled hand, this withered hand, come to be in the synagogue? I suspect they put him there. And they have a question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They're setting Jesus up. And for them, of course, the question's all academic. They'd never healed anybody. They hadn't healed anybody on the Sabbath. So why would you ask the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They already knew the answer in their definition. No, you can't heal. All you can do is stop it getting worse but if you make it get better then it's against the law. You do it on any other day is fine but not on the Sabbath. Sabbath is a day for no work, this is what God wants. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him that question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Um, Matthew leaves a little bit of a a, a statement out but I'll put it in, in a second. Uh, So he said to them, if any one of you has a sheep, and they had sheep, and if one of those sheep falls into a ditch or a pit, don't you bend down and pick it up? Isn't that breaking the law? You're lifting something heavier than two dried figs? Yep. And he knew they did it. They obviously cared more for their animals than they did for people. Jesus says, just as surely as you would do that, how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? But they would probably say, that's not always the case, sometimes sheep are more valuable. You might know somebody who thinks more of their animals than they do of other people. They look after their animals better than they do other people. How much more valuable is a person than sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It's okay to do works of necessity, David getting the bread. It's okay to do worship of God on the Sabbath, and it's okay to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus teaches these three principles. And then for proof for that, he then said to them, stretch out your hand this is the bit Matthew leaves out in Mark's Gospel chapter 3 it says when Jesus had made that statement then he looked around at the Pharisees and it says and he was angry at them because they were using this guy they were trying to set Jesus up and in the midst of that he looks at the men and he says here is a guy with a withered up hand disabled and Jesus says to him stretch out your hand what a cruel statement except it's Jesus When God commands you to do something, he enables it, because it's impossible with it, isn't it? Stretch out your hand, and somehow, miraculously, he's able to stretch it out, and it's completely restored, less like the other. Same as Lazarus in the grave. Lazarus, come here. Dead man, rises again. When God commands, he enables. Whoops. But the Pharisees, having seen that, having heard that, What's their response? They went out and they plotted how they might kill him. It doesn't come out strongly in the English text, but actually in the original text. They'd already made up their minds they were going to kill him. The plotting is, how are we going to do that? This guy's got to go. How? So they sought counsel with one another, as the Gospel story goes on to tell us about so, what does all this mean for us? I'll come back to these other ones. What response do we make to all of this? Well, maybe a couple of things. Firstly, we should learn that legalism, keeping man made rules and regulations and traditions, is often the enemy of grace. Where people think more about strange external rules and things than they do about the hard attitude and caring for people. God seems to me, Jesus certainly, is a person. Of grace and he wants us to be gracious to other people, the most difficult, the most unlovely, just as he has loved us so he yearns for us to love others. We also learn from this, that people who trust in their own good works, in their own uh, goodness, their own religious traditions or whatever, then that's certainly a barrier to salvation. It was for these Pharisees, they were trusting in all of that stuff and not therefore coming to the Lord Jesus. You may make the same mistake. Religion or Jesus? Religion is all about rituals, it's about regulations, it's about those religious routines, it's about even religious resolutions. I promise not to do this again, I promise to improve, I'll endeavour to do this, I'll commit to that, I'll give up this for Lent, i Whatever it is, that's all man-made efforts. It's all trying, 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 doing, doing, doing to win God's approval. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is all about what Jesus has done for us. And it's a relationship. Come to me. You'll find rest. I can pay the penalty for all of your sin. I can um, give you my spirit. I can give you meaning and purpose and satisfaction in life. Come as you are. No need to clean up. Come as you are. Have I got time? I'll take a minute. If, and I don't know some of you here tonight, so please don't be offended uh, or listen to the whole lot. Um, If a gay couple, uh, married couple, came to our church, came Sunday night, They'll have to come at 5.30 in future because it's the second to last 6.31. If they came, would they be welcome? I hope so. I hope so. Being homosexual, being in a committed mar- uh, marriage to same-sex marriage, that's not the deal breaker. It's a sin. It's wrong. But uh, I'm looking out at it, sinners. You've all got sin. Your sin's just different. That's not the deal breaker. Um, Another person comes in here, a couple who they're not married, they're living together. Are they welcome? You bet. Come. Come and listen to the songs we sing and to the teaching we give and listen and discover who Jesus is. That's not your problem. Your problem is you've committed sin and you are separated from God. That's the problem. That's just a manifestation of it. So we're not here to judge you. We're here to accept you and welcome you and love you and care for you and give you grace and give you the gospel. Then, when a person becomes a follower of Jesus, now you have another conversation. Now that you are calling Jesus Lord, this is what Jesus says about some of your life choices. And you don't judge, and you don't say, unless you do this, you're not welcome here anymore. You don't do that. That's you teach, and you wait patiently, and you pray for them, and you love them. And you continue to love them, even if they choose not to obey the Lord. Well, then that's another issue. Whose problem is that? His. That's his child. He will deal with it. And we need to be very sensitive in how we deal with it okay what response do we make to this god's far more concerned about grace and mercy and kindness certainly standing for the truth let me finish with this the same miracles the same signs the same teaching that convinced the people who were listening to jesus who were open and humbled they got convinced they followed him They invited Him to the parties, they loved Him. But the same miracles, the same teaching, confirmed the proud in their unbelief and rejection. So it wasn't the teaching and the miracles that made the difference, it's the different people who were choosing differently. Somebody once said, the same sun melts the wax that hardens the clay. Same sun same Gospel, same truth, for some, melts the wax, for some, hardens the clay. What's the difference? Their choice, their response, their understanding. So that's a question for all of us, what response do we make to all of this? Look at the evidence, where's the evidence point? Let's pray together. Once again, Father, thank you for sending Jesus the Son of Man, the Lord of the Sabbath, the one who can forgive all of our sin, the one who loves us and who accepts us, the one who wants to clean us up, but Jesus doesn't clean up his fish until he's caught them. So, Lord, help us to reflect that truth to others. You're a God who desires mercy and compassion and kindness and niceness not religious rituals. So Lord, deliver us and use us to advance your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen.